an extremely common question that comes up in my work with men and young people, well, women too, for that matter, relates to bulking up or increasing muscle mass. You know, the fancy scientific term would be muscle hypertrophy. Now, maybe you've decided that you want or need to bulk up or have an adolescent child who has expressed interest in this goal. Now, if you or they search for recommendations on Google, you'll inevitably encounter advice that, you know, firmly grounds you in diet culture. It's typically a combination of structured training and rigid or at least quite specific dietary advice. Now, is this healthy? Not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically as well. These are important questions, and addressing and thinking through them early on in the process can really prevent so many of the issues that we see pop up over time, including problems with body image and our relationship with food. I'm Jeff Ash, certified nutritionist, personal trainer, and intuitive eating coach who has been down this road myself in the past and can speak from personal experience and professional experience. And you're listening to the Men's Intuition Podcast. All right, so let's talk about bulking up or building muscle mass. So I want to touch on three different areas related to this topic. What's needed to increase muscle mass, both the training and nutrition aspects. I also want to talk a bit about common supplementation recommendations to kind of assist with this process, just get a little understanding of, of what is out there as far as supplements and what tends to come up. And then finally, I wanna wrap up by talking about the implications for our relationship with food and our body image. This is extremely important. And if, if you're a teenager listening to this right now, it can be really easy to dismiss this, these issues. But let me tell you, every single man who I work with has some kind of issue with their relationship with food and especially their body image. And this part of the conversation is rarely talked about when people are interested in how to increase muscle mass. And you certainly won't find many conversations when you start looking on Google for advice for increasing muscle mass. You know, advice usually jumps right into the specific interventions and, and how to optimize a process, but I think that's very short-sighted. So uh, let's just start off with what's needed to increase muscle mass, right? A little bit about the process. So muscle hypertrophy refers to the increase in the size or, or mass of the skeletal muscle fibers. It occurs as a result of consistent and progressive resistance training or, or work that's involving some level of stress where muscles are repeatedly subjected to uh, mechanical stress and then tension also. Uh, it occurs with any kind of stress really on, on the muscles, whether it's inside the gym, sports, manual labor, really any kind of physical activity. Uh, he, here's a quick, simple explanation of the process. So mechanical stress occurs with uh, things like resistance training or, or any form of mechanical activity that, that places stress on your muscles. And what it does is it creates these small tears in the muscle fibers. And then there's a, kind of an inflammatory response that happens to the muscle damage. And your body initiates this response, uh, sending immune cells and various growth factors to the damaged area. And then these satellite cells are a, a type of cell that are located around your muscle fibers and they become activated and, and fused with the damaged muscle fibers. And these satellite cells play a crucial role in repairing and rebuilding the muscle tissue. Now, once fused with the damaged fibers, the, the satellite cells help increase muscle protein synthesis within the muscle fibers. And protein synthesis is the, uh, the, the process where your body builds new proteins and repairs those damaged muscle, muscle tissues. And this process then leads to an increase in the, the muscle fiber size and the thickness of them. So over time with consistent resistance training and adequate rest, I want to emphasize that, there are these repaired muscle fibers adapt to the the different this increased workload and then they kind of grow in size and this adaptation then is what we call muscle hypertrophy so that was just a really quick intro summary of of this concept because you will hear that term especially if you're looking around for information about building muscle and that kind of thing. So just kind of wanted to give you a little brief introduction to that. So uh, I, I think having a basic understanding of that process can be helpful for, uh, you know, for, for others like me who like to know how things work. It's also really interesting. So uh, enough of the science part. Let's, let's stick mainly to the practical stuff here because uh, we could easily spend an entire episode talking about muscle hypertrophy. And actually, I really don't want to do that. All right, so what's needed from a training perspective? Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, the process is progressive, 
and it involves repeated exposure to these different stresses on the muscles. So one of the key principles here is something called progressive overload. And to stimulate muscle growth, you need to progressively increase the demands that are placed on your muscles. Otherwise, they won't adapt. They'll have no need to adapt. And there are a number of ways that you can do this. So uh, some simple ways are you can increase the weight that you're lifting for a particular exercise. So, for example, if you're doing a bench press with 135 pounds, then the next time you might try and increase the weight and move it up to 140 or 145 pounds. So increasing the weight with the same number of repetitions, that would be one way of overloading the muscles, which makes makes sense. That's a simple concept, right? You can also increase the number of repetitions. And so that would be maybe you did five repetitions at a particular weight on a particular exercise. And then the next time that you perform that exercise, you added an additional repetition to each one of the sets that you did. So again, that's going to put the muscle under a new level of strain or load that it's not accustomed to. And so it's going to need to adapt to that. And the adaptation response then is to typically grow in strength, also increase your endurance and those kinds of things too. But all of those different kinds of adaptations occur. So the process of progressive overload is it's really simple if you if you think about it. You might also change up the specific exercise that you're doing to target a particular muscle group. So maybe you're doing leg press, which works your quadriceps and your glutes and that kind of thing. And instead of that, maybe you'll do some lunges or squats or box squats, which would work the muscles in a uh, different way. I'm sorry, box jumps, which would work the muscles in a different way. Uh, all kinds of different ways that you can vary it by targeting the same muscles, but in a little bit different way. And again, that will cause the body to have this adaptation response. You can also do things like increase the volume of the work that's being done. There's some different ways this term volume is used by trainers and coaches and researchers. Sometimes it refers to the number of repetitions, like three sets of five or 15 total reps, or the number of sets or both. Other times it might refer to the total weight lifted, but really regardless, it basically refers to the amount of work that's being done. And so another way to you know, progressively overload your body is to increase the amount of total work that you're doing, whether that's total amount of weight lifted or repetitions and sets, that kind of thing. So the key here is that you are progressively putting your muscles under more and more stress as they adapt over time. Now, I want you to begin to think about the implications of this before we go any further. So as the body adapts uh, to, to continue to increase muscle adaptations, increases in size, you know, that kind of thing, you need to keep doing more and more. So this can become a problem over time, as you might imagine, especially as life changes, as you have new responsibilities, changes in your health maybe injuries, you know, if you're a teen listening to this, maybe your school or workload increases, uh, changes like that occur. Maybe if you're, you know, if you're an adult, you're, you may have job changes, you might have a, a child, you might have a sick child, you may go through job loss or those kinds of things. All of these kinds of things can impact the time that we have available to dedicate to something like this. And so these are considerations to understand as we are talking about um, adding more and more work to our body to continue to cause it to progress forward. Now, we'll talk more about this later at the end, but I kind of wanted to slip that in here early just to get you thinking a little bit about these, these changes that go on in life that we often overlook and say, oh, no, I, I have no issue working out six days a week. But in reality, do you have that ability for the rest of your life? You know, that kind of thing. So it's good to start thinking about those things. All right, so another area that's important is nutrition. And uh, it, this is another important part of this equation. Now, first and foremost, you need to make sure you're getting adequate total energy. Eat enough. So skimping on food has two real negative implications. One is that it hurts your performance during whatever activity you're engaged in, whether it be you know lifting heavy boxes or bales of hay at work, training in the gym, digging ditches, whatever the case may be, you need enough energy to fuel that activity or you won't be able to push yourself. 
Simple as that. Now, the second is recovery. Now, you need adequate energy to fuel recovery or your muscles won't grow. Muscle growth doesn't occur in the gym. And actually, often people who don't eat enough will find that their body is much more sore after workouts. And because that recovery process can't kick into full gear and their body isn't able to recover as quickly or completely because they're not giving themselves adequate energy. So this is a, that's actually a good practical sign. If your body's overly sore, could be that you're doing too much, but it could also mean that you're just not eating enough or enough protein, which we'll talk about later. It occurs during the recovery process outside the gym, this muscle growth. And so it's important that we understand that muscle growth doesn't occur while we're lifting the weights. It occurs while we're recovering from lifting the weights. So recovery is super, super, super important, as is getting adequate sleep. And like I said, I can't emphasize this enough, eating enough. Now, when you're allowing your muscles to rest and recover, uh, that's when that growth occurs. So recovery, as I said, is, is so important in this process. Now, protein intake is also crucial for muscle repair and protein synthesis, as I explained earlier. Uh, but, but don't forget that other macronutrients, carbs and fats, are also super important. A lot of times in the bodybuilding community or in the fitness community where people are focused on trying to build muscle, improve performance, that kind of thing, there's a, an, it, we get overly fixated on protein. You know, make sure you're getting all this protein. A lot of times people are eating excessive amounts of protein that are just over and above what their body really needs. Not that it's necessarily damaging or bad, but sometimes that that hyperfixation on something like that can be problematic from an emotional standpoint because you're forcing yourself to eat more than what you really want to. I hear people complaining a lot all the time in some of these groups about, oh, I'm just eating so much protein and getting tired of it. And I'm having a hard time eating this much because they've they forced themselves to meet a certain goal that's just not realistic or, or even necessary. But again, coming back to the other macronutrients, all three are extremely important to this process. So carbs are your body's preferred source of fuel for strenuous activity. So it makes sense that, you know, to perform well during manual labor or training in the gym that you would want a good supply of carbohydrates. So don't fall for the low carb keto carnivore hype, that kind of stuff that you'll see out there that's popularized on the internet right now. Eat your carbs in the form of a, a wide variety of things like fruits and veggies, grains, nuts, and even, you know, gasp, sugar. Yeah, sugary snacks and treats provide a great source of energy as part of an overall varied diet. Obviously, we don't want to eat nothing but sugary things to get our carb energy, but at the same time, it can play a, a super important and enjoyable uh, role in providing our body with enough carbohydrate and fuel for the various higher intensity kinds of activities that we might be engaged in. Fats are also important for hormone health, so don't skimp on that either, like testosterone, growth hormone, IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor one, and other kinds of hormones. They all play a, a very important role in muscle hypertrophy, that building of muscle. So these hormones stimulate protein synthesis and contribute to muscle growth. So it's important that we're eating enough fat also on top of enough carbs and enough protein so that we provide the, the nutrients and the nourishment for the entirety of our body. Now, I, I do want to touch on one particular topic that comes up literally all the time in conversations around building muscle, and, and that is protein intake, as I kind of mentioned a moment ago. You know, don't get off the weeds with this one. As I pointed out, adequate protein intake is super, super important, but don't let it become this fixation. Don't hyper fixate on protein as the, the only nutritional uh, consideration or the primary one. There's a good body of research on this topic, and it does show a broad range of, of protein intake that seems to be beneficial in people who are specifically engaged in higher levels of physical activity. You know, the, the normal recommendation for the average everyday person is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body mass, which I'll convert that here in a moment, which is a little bit lower. But when people are involved in trying to build additional muscle mass or strength training, it's it's often recommended that it be a little bit higher to provide for better recovery 
And so generally the recommendation that has been supported in, in the research is 1.2 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. But for us who talk in pounds, um, and that's per day, uh, it's about 0.5 to 1 gram per pound of body weight. Now, generally, the more muscle mass you have, the more protein and total energy, for that matter, uh, that your body will need to maintain that muscle mass or allow it to grow more. Now, if you follow any fitness advice online, you're going to encounter these numbers. Now, I, I usually don't like to share those numbers necessarily unless somebody's just really interested in them, but I, I shared them here because I know if you're looking into this topic, you will inevitably encounter those specific numbers. And I want to point out something about that range. You know, that range is pretty broad, right? So if we think about like a 185-pound person, just throwing that number out there as a random number, that would be 100 to 185 grams per day. That's a broad range. That's almost, you know, we're talking almost half on the upper end seems to be possibly acceptable also, right? And that's far from a precise measurement by any means. That's a, that's a huge range. And that's what I want to, to emphasize here is that a lot of these discussions make it very easy to hyperfixate on that. And, and a lot of people will look at that higher number and say, oh, okay, well, I want to build muscle quicker, so I'm going to go for the highest number, right? That makes sense. I want the highest number to make sure I gain the most muscle. But that's not how the body works either. So it's important that we understand how the, the research in this area is done and that there's a lot of variation from person to person. And that's why this range varies so much. There's variation from person to person in how their body responds. Each one of us responds significantly different. And also there is a broad range of the kinds of physical activity. So just because somebody says they lift weights five days a week doesn't mean that it's the same as another person lifting weights five days a week. So their protein needs, their energy requirements may be significantly different. It also doesn't seem to take into account the number of times each week. You know, one person might lift three days a week and then do cycling on other days. And another person might lift six days a week. You know, so again, there's this, this big variation between the amount of work and the response in each individual's body to the amount of protein. So this is something that I want to emphasize here with that range when you encounter it. You know, a lot of people meticulously track their protein intake and, and other macros for that matter to make sure they don't miss out on any gains and that kind of thing. And maybe you've read something somewhere that has recommended that you do that, but this is generally not necessary at all. And in fact, I highly recommend you don't do that. Uh, for, for several reasons, but one of them is just what I illustrated there with the recommended range. Meticulously tracking something that has a, a broad range like protein is unnecessarily complicating things and unnecessarily encouraging people to hyperfixate on this particular number. Okay, so let's be, let me be clear. I'm not talking about elite professional or Olympic athletes. There may be some value in this population, although there are so many other trade-offs that are beyond the scope of this, this episode in that population, right? They're, they're training for a specific purpose. They have to weigh the pros and cons of different things. They often train through injuries and those kinds of things, knowing that they, they may do permanent damage to their body, but it's worth it for that short period because they're at such a high level, you know, that kind of thing. But most of us, the 99.99% of us who are not in that category, right, those are not things that we should be considering. And so we really don't need to hyperfixate on things like that. But what's interesting is that so many people try to apply what really only applies to that minuscule portion of our population to the average everyday person. And that's why you hear so much of this advice about meticulously tracking things and trying to biohack and all of these other kinds of things that really are not helpful and in fact are, can be quite damaging to our relationship with food. So how do we apply this understanding of science that I pointed out? Because it's, it is, it's sound science. It's, it's pretty solid. There's a good body of research supporting it. Uh, how do we apply that when we're not meticulously tracking, overly fixating on these numbers when we're eating intuitively, which is what I'm all about, intuitive eating and what this podcast is all about and what I highly encourage people to, 
to uh, work on is that intuitive eating capability. Well, my recommendation is to simply incorporate some mindfulness. From the intuitive eating perspective, this is where some of that gentle nutrition, that 10th principle can come into play. Consider incorporating some source of protein at each meal and even snack times, right? No, no need to overly complicate things. In fact, you may already be doing this as a matter of convention, and so you may not even have to adjust anything. With that, I do also recommend incorporating carbs and fat as well. Not a rule, not a requirement, just a principle that not only helps ensure adequate nutrients for recovery and performance, but also great for helping to make meals and snacks sustaining and thus easier to listen to our body's appetite regulation cues as well. Another topic that I love to talk about a lot is that that simple aspect of just being mindful of when you're putting together a meal or a snack you say, hey, what sounds good? Well, a candy bar sounds good for a snack. Okay, cool. Candy bar sounds good. And you just pause for a moment and say, well, that does have some fat. It's got some carbs. Depending on the candy bar, it might have a little protein, but probably not much. Maybe I should add something to that to beef up that snack, make it a little more energy dense, possibly, because maybe I, I want to have a good amount of energy there. Maybe I just add some protein into it because I said, you know, I'm really trying to be mindful of incorporating protein. So I'm going to just add some protein to that candy bar. And there, you may have some beef jerky with it, or you may have some Greek yogurt or maybe a protein shake or whatever the case may be. Again, thinking in those kinds of terms really simplifies it down. No need to meticulously count your protein intake, stress over it, worry about it and those kinds of things, or cut out and restrict other food that in place of that, you know, just think of, of what can I add to this meal or snack to maybe fill it out a little better, round it out a little bit better for the goals that I have for myself. Now, I should probably stop there because I could do an entire episode on just the nutrition topic related to building muscle and, and a protein or a performance and those kinds of things. But I think this leads nicely into another area that comes up a lot in discussions around building muscle mass, and that's supplements. Now, this is an area that can be quite messy because you're going to get so much mixed advice from fitness professionals who are often selling supplements, the supplement industry who is selling supplements, and everyday people, really, just trying to be helpful. You know, many or most, I would say, are ill-informed on this topic, and that goes for even the pros. So one category is the legal stuff like pre-workouts, creatine, protein, although I think of protein more as just food, and I'll talk about that more in a moment, and then, you know, those kinds of things. Then there are the illegal substances, which I'll just briefly touch on after that. So let's start off with the legal stuff. So pre-workout supplements are probably one of the most popular ones. They're very popular for the gym community. They're touted as being great for improving your performance in the gym, as well as helping you build you know, more muscle more quickly. Uh, the problem is that most claims are best, you know, at best way overstated. And at worst, they're just patently false. This is a huge industry. And that's, that's why you get so much misinformation here, just like in the weight loss industry. Uh, in general, these are mostly safe for teens, these pre-workouts and adults, depending on underlying medical conditions. So if you are planning to take them and have any kind of medical condition or taking any medications, I would high, highly recommend talking to your doctor. And in, in any case, you probably wouldn't hurt to run that by your doctor anyway. But like I said, in general, they're mostly safe, uh, the, the ingredients that they include in them. And the main ingredient in these that really has uh, been shown to improve performance and makes you feel it kind of working is caffeine. Usually a pretty high dose too. Many of these pre-workouts have about the same amount of caffeine as a rock star, bang, monster energy drink, that kind of thing. Some have even more. And so keep that in mind. Uh, that said, you can see how it could become a problem if, if someone is also drinking these energy drinks in addition to the pre-workout, especially close together or later in the day or evening. So just be aware of that. Uh, if you're a parent out there, be aware that if your child maybe drinks an energy drink each day and you're perfectly fine with that, but then they start taking a pre-workout supplement before their workout, that you may want to encourage them to use that as the replacement for the other energy drink that they may have drunk at another point during the day. I mean, uh, just 
keep that in mind. You know, honestly, caffeine has been consistently shown to be pretty effective in augmenting our training in a variety of ways. It does impact each person differently. So most people, you know, if they're planning to use it, should experiment with an amount that has an effect, but also doesn't leave them feeling too shaky. Uh, this is something I advise my intuitive eating clients on, you know, just like I do with food. How, how does it make you feel? How do you feel afterward? What amount feels best to you? Is it impacting the anxiety that you also have? You know, if somebody is dealing with anxiety, sometimes that caffeine, those pre-workouts can exacerbate that, that kind of thing. You know, listening to your body rather than the broad recommendations by fit pros online is always going to be your best bet. And if you, if you don't feel well on them, don't take them. Honestly, the effect is relatively small in the grand scheme of things. You can still massively improve your strength and performance without ever using caffeine or a pre-workout. I personally haven't used a pre-workout in a number of years myself. And when I was a competitive rock climber back in my late teens and early 20s, I never used pre-workout, really didn't drink that much caffeine either. And I developed a lot of strength and, and muscle doing that. When I was competing in martial arts and won three national championships, you know, in, in, in competitive martial arts, I also wasn't using pre-workouts or caffeines during my weight training or my martial arts training either. So keep that in mind. Uh, I have used them in the past and found them beneficial in certain contexts when I was following kind of a bodybuilding approach to my training. And so, again, see what works for you if it's something that you're curious about. But again, don't get fixated on it. If you don't feel good on it, just don't worry about it. All right, the other supplement that you may hear about that is quite popular in the lifting community and among those trying to build muscle is something called creatine monohydrate. And it's often just referred to simply as creatine. Now, this is actually one of the very few supplements with a long and large base of support in the literature for both safety and efficacy, which is pretty cool. So most supplements have pretty marginal supporting evidence and it's it's sketchy often done by the the people who produce the supplement but creatine actually has a, a really strong base of support it's a naturally occurring substance that's found in things like red meat and other foods and it plays a crucial role in providing energy to cells especially during high intensity kinds of exercises like resistance training and that kind of thing now i won't go into how it works uh, in detail but essentially it can help with increased strength and power Building a muscle mass, uh, improved exercise performance can help in recovery. And this one is really interesting too. There's an interesting body of research showing its benefits for brain health. They're, they're studying the neuroprotective benefits in conditions like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and depression. So it's not just a gym bro kind of supplement. So keep that in mind too. It's, it's a really interesting one, really fascinating what uh, some other benefits that they're finding to it. But one thing I like about creatine it's super cheap, and it's also been studied for decades, both in efficacy and safety, and even in teens. So if you are a parent of a teenager who maybe maybe they're asking about taking this, and you can feel pretty confident that it is not some sketchy, untested, steroid-like substance. A lot of there's a lot of misconceptions around creatine. A lot of people think of it more in terms of like steroids, like a legal steroid, and it's just it's not even remotely in the same category doesn't impact the body negatively like that. It's not addictive. It's not a, it's not a drug like that. But, you know, as we talk about a lot in uh, the context of bodies and intuitive eating, everyone's different. So some people don't respond to it at all, while others have a really strong response. So it's not a, it's not a magic bullet by any means. And if you don't feel comfortable taking it, or if you're a teen and your parents won't let you take it, it's not going to make or break anything. So don't don't stress over it. Don't turn it into a battle. You know, like I said, if you're a teen and, and mom and dad won't let you take it, you can still get a lot of gains in your lifting without taking something like creatine, uh, regardless of what the gym bros might tell you. Uh, one thing to watch out for with creatine, though, is that some people do experience GI discomfort depending on how much they take. You know, five grams is kind of the common dose for adult men. It's based on body size typically. So if you are experiencing these GI issues, it's not really worth taking it since while it's effective, like I said, in, in a lot of people, it's not a game changer by any means. It's not going to make or break your training. In general, it's not something that you need to worry about overdosing on either just to make sure to stay uh, you know, just just make sure to stick to the recommended dosing if you're taking it. So that's 
um, that's creatine in kind of a nutshell. And the reason I brought that specific one up is it comes up a lot, and rightly so. Parents are very nervous about that one. And so if you have parents who are uncomfortable with you taking it, again, if you're the teen listening to this, know that, that they probably heard a lot of that from other people. And if you are the parent and you're concerned about this one, keep in mind that it it really has been out there for decades uh, and it's it has a strong base uh, in the research for, as I said, safety and efficacy. So keep that in mind. And the last supplement is uh, is protein that I wanted to touch on. Now, I really prefer to think of this as, as a food because it really is. You know, whey protein, which is a common one, is processed milk like cheese. So it, it's just part of the, the milk. Uh, personally, I often use a protein shake to add protein to a meal when I don't really feel like eating meat or some other protein source. For, so like a, a good example is I might feel like a bowl of Fruit Loops for breakfast, right? You know, I pour some milk on it, which does have a little bit of protein, but I generally like a bit more at my meals. So if I don't really feel like adding eggs to that meal or some something else like that, just really feel like maybe a donut. Maybe I just want donuts for breakfast and that's all I feel like. I might add protein you know, through a protein shake to that to beef up that meal, to kind of round it out a little bit better, make it more sustaining, and then also fill in those those needs to help support the recovery from, from the kind of training that I'm involved in. Now, that's something that I love with intuitive eating. You know, you're actually encouraged to be flexible and stay connected with what sounds good to you as an individual, never feeling like you have to do anything in particular. And so I've found protein shakes to be a great way to supplement that when I'm just not really in the mood to eat a particular kind of heavier food. And I, but I do, you know, like the feeling of, of protein, of, uh, of having that protein at each meal, that can be a wonderful way to supplement that. But protein shakes can also be great for recovery right after your workouts. And uh, especially if you don't, find yourself to be very hungry right after a workout, which is kind of the case for me. After I've expended a lot of energy, I usually am not particularly hungry. can also be a great one before a workout because it doesn't leave you feeling heavy, doesn't leave that food in your stomach, which I also don't like before doing something very strenuous. So a great way to get a nice dose of protein to aid in that rebuilding of the muscles and stimulating that muscle protein synthesis is to throw in a protein shake like that. They're also really cost effective. So if you're headed off to college, it can be a great way to to um, round out maybe some of the meals that you're getting in the in the cafeteria at, at college or while you're out on your own. Maybe you're going to have a very limited food budget. You know, getting choosing the right protein, you can fill in uh, a lot of your protein needs with protein shakes uh, really economically. So usually what I recommend with these is that you think of them as food, but at the same time, use them to supplement your other food. So keep in mind that protein shakes usually don't have a lot of the additional nutrients like you'd find in a piece of salmon, steak, chicken, or even plant-based sources of protein. And, and so they, they shouldn't really be a substitute for some of those other food staples. But remember, variety is going to be the best way to ensure that you're providing your body with all the nutrients it needs, whether it's for performance, recovery, or general health, which is why I never recommend people just removing things from their diet. Or if it's food that you enjoy, just think in terms of, hey, what could I add in here to round things out better? And that approach is really beneficial for your relationship with food too. Now, any other supplements are there? Well, honestly, for most people, don't worry about them. It's it's easy to get bogged down and focus on the minutia rather than the things that will actually matter the most. I see this all the time. You know, people debating over which pre-workout is best or taking deep dives into all these different supplements that just won't make that much of a difference, if if any at all. You know, that's the thing. Focus on the big stuff like eating enough, eating regularly, get uh, good sleep, take days off attend to your mental health, back off from your workouts if you're experiencing pain or discomfort, consistency, those kinds of things. Don't don't train through injuries. Uh, all of those kinds of things will get you much more bang for the buck than individual supplements and that kind of thing. Now, as for the illegal stuff like steroids and, and those other things, just don't. It's not worth it. There are no upsides to taking these things long-term. It'll damage your body, and it is horrendous for your mental health and body image, especially when you stop taking them and your body changes. We're going to talk more about that here uh, in just a moment. 
And that really actually, that leads us into this last part that I wanted to talk about in this, in this episode. I wanted to touch on uh, some things related to our relationship with food and our body image as well. So I wanted to start off by just summarizing some of the, the considerations when you have a goal of increasing your muscle mass. I think that can be a perfectly reasonable goal. There are advantages to having higher levels of muscle mass like strength, ability to move heavier objects, you know, like manual labor, helping your friends move, rearranging furniture, taking care of things around the house, all of those kinds of things. Uh, also, as you get older, it's important that you try and maintain as much muscle mass as you can when you're, you know, I'm 51 now, I'll be 52 this year. As you get into your 50s and 60s and, and 70s, I know if you're a teenager listening to this, that seems like forever, but it, uh, it, it does creep up on you quicker than you might imagine. But yeah, keeping that those levels of muscle mass are, are very beneficial as you get older, especially if if you experience some kind of an illness where you experience loss of muscle mass due to the illness. Having more to start with means that you'll be at a much better level once you once your illness is managed or levels out. All of those kinds of things. Uh, let's also be honest here with. With guys, higher levels of muscle mass are praised by our society and culture. You know, we see it in the media, movies, advertisements, you name it, where women are often encouraged to be thin and small. Again, not always, but in general, men are often encouraged to be lean and muscular, right? And so this is where we're going to start getting into talking about kind of our, our thoughts about body image and that kind of thing. Our superhero and action movies don't really help matters as they always show the confident, heroic you know, love interest in this way too, right? Muscular and lean. Our culture perpetuates this idea, which drives us as men and boys to try to attain this standard of beauty. You know, more often than not, this is what's really driving the desire to build more muscle mass. This is also why it's so important to understand why our kids or us, you know, if we're the one trying to bulk up, want to build more muscle. You know, what's driving that desire? Is it going to be not only physically healthy, but mentally healthy, psychologically, socially, and even economically healthy if we pursue that? So when we're talking about the issue of intentionally increasing our muscle mass, I think we need to think of it very much like we think of intentional weight loss. You know, it's with body fat amount and distribution, muscle mass amount and distribution is highly, highly variable among people due to genetics and other factors, gender, that kind of thing. Uh, take a look at the, the variation of elite athletes as, an, as just one example, right? Look at the players in the NBA, Major League Baseball, especially the NFL. It's very noticeable there. There's so much variation among those bodies. You know, think of the the NFL and the big offensive linemen compared to a nimble wide receiver, their bodies are incredibly different. All the lifting in the world is not going to change the body of a wide receiver into a lineman and vice versa. And if you could make some of those changes, you know, maybe bulk up for a while, it would very likely be temporary and require the kind of constant work that is just not sustainable for any period of time realistically not for professional athletes. That's why you don't see them typically do that either. And certainly not for those of us who have regular lives where our exercise time is just one small aspect of our lives. So let me address parents as well as individuals here. Let's, let's go ahead and start with parents. You know, first off, if your son or daughter expresses interest in, quote, getting healthy or specifically bulking up or building muscle, that kind of thing, don't immediately think this is a positive. The natural response for a lot of parents when they hear this is, oh, awesome, my kid is interested in, in taking care of their health. Hey, that, that's great, right, on the surface. But usually there's something else driving it, especially if it just comes up out of the blue. And it's so important that we look into that. You know, Taking an interest in your health is generally positive, but, quote, getting healthy and, quote, bulking up, when we hear those terms, those should give us pause because they often bring with it the, the idea that their body is not good enough, that they're starting to be very dissatisfied with their body, and that when they talk about health, what they mean really is appearance because they're equating health with appearances, which is what our society does constantly. 
that there's a significant level of body dissatisfaction. That may be another driving factor here. And this could even be the beginnings of something far more dangerous and serious like disordered eating or disordered exercise practices or full-blown eating disorder. So when you hear those terms, don't immediately, don't immediately freak out that something is wrong with your kid. Don't immediately think, oh my gosh, my kid has an eating disorder. Uh, but at, by the same token, don't just say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that my kid is interested in taking care of their body. There's usually something driving that. Now, it may be something very positive and that's great. Could be a completely harmless thing that they just really are interested. Maybe they're feeling fatigued and they're thinking, I would just like to have a little more energy. And, and I think if my you know, I, I used to run, I used to play sports, and now I've just been not doing that anymore. And I used to feel so much better when I was doing those things. So it could be something as simple as that. Cool. You find that out. Great. You can move on. You can help them through that process. But if it's coming back to body dissatisfaction, that's a, a big red flag there. You know, there may be something going on that's driving that desire too, like bullying, mental health issues, social anxiety, something like full-blown muscle dysmorphic disorder or body dysmorphic disorder, it'd be so helpful to really get to the heart of the matter, right? Instead of just assuming or just ignoring that and assuming it's positive or negative. Doesn't mean you wouldn't still support their efforts, but knowing what's actually driving those efforts will then help you to better be on the lookout for signs of, and also prevent issues from developing at least as much as possible. But you may find out that pursuing this goal may not be overly problematic. Like I said, maybe they just really were. They, they remember how they felt when they were more active and they just want to be more active again so they feel better. Cool. That's how a lot of us adults operate too. Uh, and you just simply want to keep the lines of communication open, right? Make sure that things don't go left. You know, you may even bring in some someone like me or another weight neutral trainer or coach to help guide them through the process in a way that's safe and healthy and physically and mentally help guide you as a parent through that process. Also, you may want to have a conversation with their athletic coach. If it's for the purpose of improving their performance in a sport where strength and size can be beneficial, because that's a time in our teenage years when a lot of times the, the motivating factor is to perform better in the sport that they're involved in. Again, the, the point here is to understand the, the various factors at play and then address them as needed to set up the best possible environment for success. And by success, I don't just mean achieving that intended goal, but success also being not doing harm, right? So if this is your own goal, you know, bulking up, building size, I really want you to consider why, just like I, as I was talking to the parents about that, maybe you've never done any kind of exercise and you feel weak, unconditioned, that kind of thing. And, you know, your goal is to feel stronger and more durable. You know, you want to be able to fall down and not get hurt, that kind of thing. Cool. You know, building muscle can help with that. Often people will talk about building muscle when what's at the root is really a desire for strength. And that's that's fine. But if your reason for building muscle is rooted in some kind of aesthetic body dissatisfaction, that kind of thing. You know, it's not for me or anyone else to tell you this is wrong by any means. I mean, you, you have your values, I have mine. We all have our different values, but it, it can be quite problematic. And so that's why I like to talk about this. I just want you to understand how problematic it can be and understand what to watch out for. Now, any appearance-related goal has the potential to become a, a, a moving target where really any progress is seen as not there yet, right? Made You made some progress, but I'm not there yet. As if, quote, there is a destination that we can actually obtain, right? This can be a, a frustrating endeavor when we're constantly focusing on how far we have to go rather than where we are today. Now, I've been there personally, as have a lot of guys. I've talked about this before to a degree. You know, you start off and you see quick changes in your body in the beginning. You start to be more pleased with what you see in the mirror. And maybe the compliments you get from others, they start coming in until you're not, you know, until you're not satisfied. Uh, during this process, you may be looking at your body and examining more and more which can turn into some obsessive tendencies like weighing multiple times a day, daily progress pictures where you try posing differently so the pics look better, 
posing in different lighting. You start looking for problem areas to address, checking your reflection every time you pass in the mirror or window. I share these because I've done all of them. It doesn't typically happen overnight, but more of a slow fade into kind of excessive body checking and preoccupation with the form and size of your body. For many of us, it can get to a place where it literally disrupts their daily life. It can become a full-blown mental health disorder. That's that body dysmorphic disorder, muscle dysmorphic disorder, those kinds of things. And like I said, it's often a slow, progressive process where you just, maybe you have never been real satisfied with what you saw in the mirror, but it didn't impact your day-to-day -day life. But now you begin training and you're working on these aesthetic goals and now you're looking at yourself more and more and then more and more and more and more. And the more you look at yourself, the more you notice the flaws and the more flaws you notice, the more you pick yourself apart. And the more you pick yourself apart and notice flaws and, and lack of changes on the scale, the more you manipulate your diet in response and all kinds of snowballing effects can occur when we start to fixate on that. And so that's why I like to warn you about this when you're thinking in terms of focusing on building muscle as your primary goal. Now, this is also something we wanna prevent in our kids. So going back to parents, you know, if you see this in your child, this is a big red flag. Some, something is amiss and needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. If your kid is constantly spending a lot of time in front of the mirror, that is not a normal teenage behavior to just kind of make sure that you're presentable before you leave the house. If it's going beyond that, this would be something to address. It's not something to berate. It's not something to get angry about. It's something to lovingly and compassionately explore and try and address as best as possible. Also, it's so important to realistically understand what is necessary to maintain a certain level of muscularity. It's hard work to build it, and it's hard work to maintain it. Life changes and the time we have to dedicate to things like this will almost always fluctuate over time. And let me tell you, when you see your body looking a certain way and can't maintain it because you just don't have the time or means any longer, it can really damage your body image. I can speak from that personally. You know, wow, look what I used to look like. Now I look like this. You know, what? You were maybe only marginally dissatisfied with your body before. And now it may cause significant dissatisfaction to see yourself even better than maybe you were when you started the whole process, but you're not where you were at the quote, best that you saw yourself, right? And now because you're comparing not simply to others, which may have been the driving factor to begin with, but now you're comparing yourself to some appearance standard that you had before of yourself, uh, but couldn't maintain because of life. You know, it really takes a toll. I would say even more so than comparing your older adult body to that of when you were a young adult, is comparing yourself to what you looked like just very recently, but you couldn't sustain it or maintain it. So, you know, this is why I never recommend people try to you know, get in shape for an event, a wedding, a vacation, that kind of thing. People often say they don't plan to maintain it, but they just want to look a certain way, even just for a few days, or that they just want to see what it would feel like to have abs, you know, that kind of thing. I've heard those kinds of comments uh, uh, numerous times. No, really, you don't. You don't want to know because what might feel good for a few days will often result in feeling absolutely terrible for a long time after being un unable to maintain that, that unrealistic appearance. And the bad feelings outweigh those good feelings for that short period of time. This is, this is why I'm so passionate about not focusing on size and shape goals in and of themselves. You know, so whether you're a parent of a kid interested in bulking up or the, the one who wants to bulk up, it would be so helpful to understand what is at the heart of this desire. What's actually driving this desire to increase your muscularity is going to be a, a huge determining factor in whether this is a healthy, or unhealthy pursuit, whether it's a, a good idea to, to go down this road. You know, some final thoughts as we wrap this up. I wish I could spend several hours talking about this. I guess I could, but people would probably drop off. I'm not Joe Rogan with my three-hour podcast episodes. Um, you know, remember that bodies change over time. They change as we go through different developmental stages. Many teens are going to be much less likely to put on much in the way of muscle mass, simply because of how their body is developing. Helping them, helping you if you're a teen listening, to understand this can go a long way in navigating this. Helping them to focus on function over form, on uh, their body being an instrument rather than an ornament. 
you focusing on your body being an instrument rather than an ornament, uh, on learning to enjoy movement over how your body changes, uh, developing strength over how much bigger the muscles become, focusing on the strength increases, those things we do have much more control over, the number of repetitions, our performance, rather than how our body changes in response to that. All of these things can really help ensure a much safer process when we go through this. Also, most of our bodies don't put on muscle mass very quickly, and this varies significantly between people. And while your goal may be more muscle mass, let me just tell you that focusing on the size changes is so frustrating. It's like watching grass grow, really, especially once, you, once you've been doing it for a while. Taking the focus off of that goal in and of itself, and instead, again, putting it on improvements in strength, skill, performance, that can go a long way in changing our mindset and keeping us from drifting into that body dissatisfaction and other body image related issues. You know, if you're if you're going to track anything in this process, I highly encourage you to track the things not related to the size or appearance of your body and definitely avoid meticulously tracking your food with an app. Some examples are how much weight you're able to lift, right? On a given exercise with good form, maybe how many repetitions you're able to do at a given weight, your performance on an endurance activity, how many body weight push-ups or pull-ups you can do, that kind of thing. You know, also Consider adding in other types of movement to supplement your, your training to make you a bit more well-rounded. Like uh, I do ninja training, so um, I love I just love the obstacles and solving problems. I've also really enjoyed rock climbing over the years, martial arts, all kinds of things that will build strength. They build muscle mass, but they're not focused on that. You get to focus on something so much more fun than just pumping iron get to focus on being outdoors, on hanging out with other people, solving problems, meeting challenges, all kinds of cool things, martial arts, you know, competitions. There's all kinds of different things there that you can do that will uh, round you out better as a complete person. You know, ultimately only you can decide what's best for you and for your kids and yourself. But, you know, my hope is that this episode has given you some things to consider, at least as you navigate this very challenging area. Now, if you could use some help in this area, don't hesitate to reach out. I have a, an online support community for men where we navigate these kinds of issues together through community posts and weekly group coaching calls. Uh, I also have a self-paced video-based intuitive eating course that you might find helpful that can address general body image and relationship with food issues as well. And I also offer one-to-one -one virtual coaching where, where we can work together on your relationship with food, whether you're a teenager or an adult, uh, specific training goals, since I'm a personal trainer as well, and even certain things related to body image. So I often work with parents to help them address how to, you know, how to address these things with their kids in a way that's going to be helpful without harming. So if that sounds interesting to you, check out hopedrivesme.com for more details or, uh, or to get something set up. And as always, uh, I like to say at the end of each one of these episodes, it's, it's almost always better to focus on how we eat rather than the specifics of what we eat. And I'll also add in this episode that uh, it's also best to focus on what our body can do rather than how it looks in the mirror.